Morning everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be able to sum up and finalise our great series that we've been going through over the last seven weeks. We've been looking at the concept of God's plan for our well-being. We've reflected that God has a plan for our lives and that his design is for us to be whole. We recognise that that grand design has been ruined and tarnished by sin our willful rebellion to God, which has caused chaos in our relationships, our physical lives, our emotions and everything else. Our separateness from God has chaotic consequences. But we've also underlined again and again that the greatest of good news stories is that God so loved us that he gave his best in his loving generosity for us. Jesus, God the Son, came to live and die, to forgive sin and welcome all who would come back into real relationship with God. This work of Jesus is activated in our life through faith, trusting belief in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, all to rescue, to save us. That ultimately Jesus didn't come to make you happy and healthy, Jesus came to save you from your sins. And it's that faith in Jesus that begins an ongoing transformation and allows us the opportunity, the access and the resource to align our lives, our hearts, our minds, our will and our affection to God and to God's grand design. We get to live well again. And so over the last few weeks, as we've been journeying through, we've seen how Jesus, this, this ultimate source of well-being, of peace, of wholeness, of shalom, Jesus comes to us wherever we are, challenging our mindset by first asking, do you want to be well? And through faith in him then changes our identity and our understanding of being a truly loved child of God. Jesus then not only models, but, but actively shepherds us in our own journey of well-being. We've looked at seven areas in our lives that on their own are big deals, but put together, they, they add to a huge sense of well-being in our existence. We've looked at how our physical lives matter, that exercise, healthy eating, sleep, all impacts how we feel. How our emotional life, which for some of us seems to be so powerful, can be put into the right place. That instead of emotions controlling you and I, you can make right choices in light of how you feel. We've examined our spiritual well-being and understood that God is the source of life and he invites us to be spiritually as well as materially alive. Week five challenged our understanding of relationships and how we need them in our lives, but how we can maintain healthy ones through boundaries and expectations and good communications. Our financial and our vocational series has helped us understand how to honour God with our wealth, with our career, with our time, with our lifestyles. It has been a pretty big journey, I think. And together we've gone through it and together we get to grow. And that is where we've been. And I don't know about you, but some of the things that we've heard have really inspired me. I've heard God's voice even and have begun in myself some processes of change, some things that challenge me, some things that I've heard or read that brought with it pain as I realise that there is real work to do still in an area of my life that God was highlighting. And I've had to make a choice. Do I ignore it and stay as I am, which means I actually get worse? Or do I take God at his word 
and do something about it? Do I choose to grow as a follower of Jesus? Do I want to be well? Do I choose to grow? Dr. Sam Chand says the growth equals change. Change equals loss and loss equals pain. Thus growth equals pain. Don't we know that to be true? Growing equals pain. <laughs> and many of us will ignore it or reject it or run from it because we think pain is bad. But pain shows we're alive, that we're changing and that something's happening. So my encouragement to us at the end of this series, that if there are areas in our lives that we're not well in, I think Jesus is inviting us, offering us the opportunity to grow. And instead of ignoring the pain of doing so, will help us, if we want him to, embrace the pain and grow anyway. For it is God's plan for our well-being. Earlier on, we read from Philippians chapter 3. This is the most joy-filled letter in the New Testament. The word joy or rejoice or joyful appears loads and loads of times in these four short chapters. You, you'd think that, um, that the writer Paul must have had a really wonderful life, that he must be sitting on a beach somewhere drinking something iced cold, surrounded by family and friends, uh, with a healthy bank balance and everything going well. Because of course, you know, to be joyful means all of those things, isn't it? Well, of course not. Because well-being is it's God's plan for our well-being that's critical, not, not ours. Because Paul is writing this letter of joy from lockdown. I mean, he's isolated, he's cut off from friends and family and literally cannot leave the four walls that surround him. Paul is in prison. He is in prison because he follows Jesus, because he has aligned his heart, his life to God's grand design for him. And we would think this is like catastrophic, but this letter shouts to us that Paul is okay by and large, I mean, no one wants to be in prison, but in this place, joy and rejoicing is known because, says Paul, he has learned to be content in all circumstances. He says this, I've learned by now to be content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe of being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, for whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. The one who makes me who I am. Jesus, the source of our well-being. But this letter not only is a one full of joy, it is full of urgency. Because time is running out and Paul is eager for things to be done, for messages to be sent, to things to be put in order. Why? Well, because time is short, because Jesus is returning, because there is a real heaven and a real hell and real people go there because the gospel matters and is the only means of salvation for these real people. Time is short, my friends. And so Paul writes this to all of us. We've been in the process of moving house recently. I mean, what else do you do in the middle of, uh, of a global pandemic? <laughs> I, I, if any of you have moved house, you'll know that it's full of turbulence. You know the experience of being really excited on the one hand and really stressed on the other. Of being full of hope of what will be, 
and full of despair in the process. And that there's some great highs and great lows as timings change and people pull out and it's all chaotic. And you have that feeling at the same time wanting to kiss the kids and kick the cat. <laughs> the overriding feeling that we've been through is one of us being not quite there yet. That every phone call with a solicitor, every letter sent, every email signed is just another step in the process of getting closer. But oh, for so long, we've not been there yet. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter three. He tells us that his chief desire above all other things is to know Jesus fully, completely, brilliantly. He wants to know Jesus, the source of all well-being, but he recognises he's not there yet. He's not fully there yet. Paul emphasises that knowing Jesus isn't all plain sailing, that it brings with it suffering. Jesus followers aren't immune to suffering. In this season, some of us have known real stress, real grief, real pain, physical, economic, when everything's in the air. Christ followers know the suffering of confusion and doubt and of unanswered prayer. The suffering of following Jesus through hard times, when it seems like there's no one, nowhere to be seen. He's gone, it feels like he's a million miles away, but we follow him anyway because he has the words of eternal life. There is, for some, genuine persecution because of their faith. These things are real, with deep, real issues that we sometimes go through. But listen to this. Paul says that if knowing Christ includes suffering, then bring it on. I want to know Christ, says Paul. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because, but of course, <laughs> For following Jesus, it isn't just suffering, thank God, because weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Seasons change and the gloom of Good Friday is, is replaced by the joy of brilliance of Easter Sunday. Death is necessary if you want to know resurrection. And knowing Jesus is victorious too. It's life and newness and freshness and breath and triumph and victory when every single powerful voice that stands against you, including death itself, will bow its knee to Jesus, the resurrected King. And Paul says, that bring that on because I want to know Christ in this too, in this reality of resurrection that doesn't just include victory or triumph in areas of my mind or my attitudes. It means a very real victory when I have to taste death too. I will know resurrection because Jesus lives, I live. And so in triumph or disaster, in battles and in blessings, in good, in bad, in sickness, in health, in poverty, in riches, when everything seems to be going right and everything seems to be going wrong, it is possible for those that follow Jesus to genuinely say and know, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because I know that God loves me and that he's promised to always be with me. It is well with my soul because I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am truly loved by God. 
It is well with my soul because the God and creator of this universe knows me by name. It is well with my soul because God has written my name in his eternal record. It is well with my soul because I'm a child of God. It is well with my soul because he lives and because my toothache is finally subsiding. It is well with my soul because Jesus has paid it all. It is well with my soul because the God who made the world knows my name and he loves me. It is well with my soul because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul is writing from this enforced lockdown. This, uh, this, and he tells his church in Philippi that he's a work in progress. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that the great apostle Paul recognises that he's not quite there yet. He hasn't obtained all that he wants to. He hasn't known Christ fully. He's a work in progress. I don't know about you, but very often I feel that I take backward steps in my Christian walk. Like things of the past suddenly emerge. Habits that I thought had been dealt with suddenly flare up. Attitudes or mindsets or issues of, of unforgiveness just well again. I'm grateful for those moments when I feel like, oh, and in this journey over these last few weeks where you just recognise, my goodness, there's so much more to do and be and change. I'm so grateful for the reality that someone like Paul is still a broken, being fixed individual. I'm so grateful that Jesus takes broken people like me and commits himself to my health and well-being, commits himself to making me well and heal and sorted. Because becoming more like Jesus is God's great plan for my life. And he's working all things to good to that end. And it seems such a long way off. And Paul says the same. He says that he hasn't already obtained this, that he, he hasn't yet reached the destination, that he's, he hasn't yet reached the goal. But knowing that, doesn't allow him to just sort of sit in his apathy or his, in his ignorance. It doesn't allow him to just accept it or shrug his shoulders at a, well, c'est la vie, if, if Paul the Apostle spoke French. No, he, he does something about it. He recognises that there's a responsibility, that knowing Jesus embraces the change that has to take place in our lives. Knowing Jesus wants to be well. Knowing Jesus takes the suffering and the resurrection and inspires us forwards. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Paul says. He's already said in his letter to, here in Philippi, Philippians and elsewhere in the New Testament again and again that there's no amount of effort or good works or charitable donations can get you to be right with God. I heard recently like it's, it's, it's trying to, to get to heaven, being made right with God through our own works is like trying to get to the moon by climbing a rope made of sand. It's just ridiculous and impossible. 
Jesus has done it all for us. He's the one who's perfectly lived. The, the good news is that Jesus has, is good enough, that Jesus saves dead people like you and me. People that aren't good enough. Jesus comes with no condemnation. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting to make it possible for you and me to genuinely be saved and enjoy a real living relationship with God. Jesus paid it all, saved us all, has done it all. And so in some ways it's like, well, great job done. <laughs> but Paul says that he is responsible now. He is responsible and in that he presses on. He understands that he's not there yet. And so he forgets what is behind and presses on to what he hasn't yet got. For today is the day of salvation. Today, Jesus comes close to you and I. Today, right now, is what counts. So will we take God at his word to submit to his great design for our lives? And will we therefore press on to Jesus? Do we want to be well or stay where we are? And Paul is convinced. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because I am healed and loved and secure in Jesus' name. It is well with my soul I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The new life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm a citizen of heaven living in an earthly body in a foreign land. But one day I will have a new body and live with Jesus in heaven. It is well with my soul because I can cast all my concerns on the Lord, for he cares about me and wants the best for me. Because knowing the grace of God enables me to manage life and have no fear of death. Because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love and good to all. Has God created me on purpose? How wonderful is that? Because my soul will be well forever. Because I have the assurance that God is always in control. Because he saved me and is always with me. Because I've allowed myself time to experience God at a whole new level of companionship because I'm standing on the solid rock. Because I face all my conflicts with the King of the Universe on my side. Because God walks in front of me, preparing the way. He walks alongside me, keeping me company, and with my back protecting me. Because I am known and loved by Almighty God. It is well with my soul because Jesus is my joy and my salvation. It is well with my soul because Jesus is alive. Let everything that has breath 
praise the Lord. It is well with my soul because of God's faithfulness. It is well with my soul because I know I am loved and God has always and will always go before me. It is well with my soul because I have a future hope. It is well with our souls because we know that God holds our future in his hands. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm not going to stay where I am. Growth equals pain. And so, okay, I press on. I'm going to go through the pain barrier. I'm going to submit to the process of him changing me. My attitudes, my issues, my feelings of being in control, or self-centeredness, or fear, or anxiety of sin. I'm going to submit to the painful process of allowing Jesus to change me, to become more like him. Why? My friends, because the goal is worth it. Jesus calls us heavenward. In almost every funeral of a person that has loved and followed Jesus that I've taken, I've ended up quoting uh, from a poem by a guy called Don Wurtzen. When engulfed by the terror of the tempestuous seas, with unknown waves before you roll. At the end of doubt and peril is eternity. Though fear and conflict seize your soul. But just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Of touching a hand and finding it God's. Of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding your home. It is well with my soul because Jesus, my saviour, calls me home. C.S. Lewis, one of the great 20th century authors and academics, most famous for his Chronicles of Narnia series, was a man who more than most somehow articulates the beauty and the splendour, the surprise, the joy and the wonder of heaven. He once said that the fact that our heart yearns for something earth cannot supply is proof that heaven must be our home. I love that. And Paul knows that living here now, today, is so important. Life is a gift and God's grand design is that it is to be lived well. Christ followers are on mission now to share God's gospel and show God's grace. We're to live and move and have our being in suffering and in resurrection, in battles and blessings, in triumphs and seeming disasters. But friends, for those who know Jesus, heaven, heaven is our home. He calls us heavenward. How can we begin to conceive what heaven is like? We try to do so through the use of images and metaphors, as the Bible does. We can see heaven only through the imaginations that God has given us. And what we imagine is limited, because it's impossible for us to conceive images that do not depend on space or location. I struggle to imagine a more beautiful place on earth than Atlantic Bay off the Cornish coast, or the hills of the Llinby Valley. <laughs> C.S. Lewis tells us 
that in his books, in his, in his series on the Chronicles of Narnia, he tries to describe heaven, Narnia, as a series, as a, as a huge land of joy and of light and of life, a place of youth, of health, of abundance of beauty and bounty. But Lewis admits again and again in his brilliant writings that he cannot express or imagine what heaven will truly be like. But he says that it'll be, those, it'll be where those who love and long for Jesus will find fulfillment. One of his characters famously says that, uh, I have come home at last. This is my country, I belong here. This is the land I've been looking forward to all my life, though I never knew it till now. In Lewis's literature uh, of Narnia and Aslan the Great Lion, he depicts heaven and Jesus and describes how those who have a deep desire for Narnia and Aslan, for heaven and Jesus, ultimately discover that they find both. Lewis writes that I cannot describe it any better than that. If ever you get there, you'll know what I mean. In his great book, Mere Christianity, Lewis admits the goal for all Christians is that I must keep myself alive in the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same without, of course, getting too concerned about there and neglect God's grand design for us here. Heaven will be home for prepared for people. I press on, says Paul. I want to know Christ. William Barclay says, for the Christian, heaven is where Jesus is. We do not need to speculate on what heaven will be like It is enough to know that we will forever be with him. My friends, we're not there yet. We're broken being fixed people, understanding to align our hearts to God's grand design for our well-being. But Paul's great encouragement, knowing contentment and joy, that in the middle of lockdown pandemic, in the middle of our life and structure, press on, press on. On. In the middle of suffering, press on. In the middle of resurrection, press on to know Jesus. For Jesus can be known. The saving, the healing, the magnificent, forgiving, heaven-occupying Jesus can be known. Jesus, our joy, our crown, our delight, our salvation, Jesus, our song and our shield, Jesus, our light and our life, Jesus, is why we can say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because God covers me with the blanket of his peace in his presence. And one day, That peace won't be temporary, but it will be for all eternity. It is well with my soul because the Lord is always with me. He goes ahead of me, he watches my back and he walks beside me every day. 
All is well with my soul because I know God loves me, he provides for me, and I know I can do everything through Jesus who gives me strength. Thank you, Lord. It is well with my soul because in every situation, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. It is well with my soul because I know that my Redeemer lives. I can enjoy him and rest in his presence wherever I am, whatever time of day or night. It is well with my soul because my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, explained the gospel to me so that I understood it and knew what Jesus had done for me. It is well with my soul because God has helped me to recognize his voice. He has revealed to me more of himself and given me greater understanding of his word. He's made me glad. I will rejoice. It is well with my soul, because as it says in 2 Corinthians 6.18, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I am God's precious daughter. It is well with my soul. All is well with my soul, because Jesus has promised to show me the path that leads to life, and his presence will fill me with joy. Thank you, Jesus. It is well with my soul because my hope, my foundation is built on Jesus. It is well with my soul because God's love for me is unconditional and he has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. It is well with my soul because I have hope. It is well with my soul because I am filled with the peace and the joy that only God can give you. As we've heard from God's word in Philippians today, and as, as I try to share some of the things and the encouragements that after the end of this series, we're to keep on pressing on, because we're not there yet. We're gonna sing in a moment and worship in song and respond to these things. We're gonna sing a song by a guy called Horatio Spafford. The song that we're about to sing, he wrote whilst on a ship bound for England in the 19, mid 19th century. He was traveling to England from the United States to, to pick up his wife, who on just days earlier on that very same crossing with their four daughters, the ship in which they was carrying them, was struck by another ship. Everyone went into the water. Mrs. Spafford survived. The four daughters died. And so Horatio Spafford is on his way to England to collect his grief, lonely wife. A man who is familiar with sufferings in lots of different kinds. A man who had invested all his wealth into, into a building project in the great city of Chicago. But just a few years later, when the great fire of Chicago struck, he lost everything. This is a man who knew the reality of 
immense suffering. And on that journey to England, on board that ship, traveling over exactly the same seas that housed now his deceased daughters, he writes the song, It is well with my soul. And he does so because of his knowing Jesus. And in the midst of it all, he presses onwards. My friends, Jesus Christ doesn't come to give us happiness and health. He can do that, and he does do that very often. Jesus comes to save us, ultimately. To save us from sin. To save us from drowning in a sea of our own selfishness, self-centeredness, fear, pride, anxiety, our sin and separateness from God. Jesus comes to save us. Save us from that and save us to knowing God. Save us from a life of chaos away from God. And so today, my friends, if you do not know this Jesus, you can because he invites you into a real, truthful, loving relationship with him. People over these last few days and weeks have done that just like that with people connected with our church. And you can do that right now, right now. You can pray and say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive me that I'm so grateful that you love me and I want to know that love. I want to know you. Come into my world. Change me. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me in following you. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time with faith, with trust in your heart, then I'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Call us today. Contact us somehow on social media. Let so that people can talk to you and encourage you because this friendship of Jesus is everything. He saves us, calls us home. And if you're someone who already is a friend of God's, then in the light of this entire series that we've talked about, press on. Do not settle. Press on to know him more. To, through the pain of indecision and the pain of apathy and the pain of complacency, press on. Through the joys of health and wealth and success, press on. Whatever our lot, he can teach us to know it is well. For heaven is our home. He is our home. Press on. Now let us worship him together.